Welcome to the eleventh episode of the Steve Sash Schwartz podcast, where we discuss all things related to contemporary art. Tonight, we're going to be talking about my Sentinel series, which I did between 2016 and 2019, and this is a portion of them. So I did these pieces that uh, were with antique frames and stuff, and kind of created a grid-like thing. Although there's variation here. And I did these like larger scale wall pieces that uh, had really organically shaped uh, grounds that I was working on. Let's say they weren't rectangles whatsoever, nor squares, right? And then I did um, volumetric things. Like I know these are volumetric. They project out like a freeze or something, a bar relief, that kind of thing. But I'm talking about like just sculpture. So I'm going to have to do like three different hangings or whatever. So uh, as a jumping off point, I thought I'd do a little installation like this. And uh, in these works, you can see my obsession with blister packs and recycling and like having everything matter and mean something really comes to life here because all of these are kind of like, I would say, substantive or iconic, what do you call it? blister packs and in other words I'm not doing a whole grid and making a crazy constellation of them I'm just doing like one item presenting it right and uh, so these are them <laughs> and uh, I just laugh because some of them have funny names and funny references like for example that one up there it's called butt plug no actually I have these really elaborate names I'm gonna have to look them up because that's gonna make this podcast or lecture, whatever you call it, much more interesting. So anyway, by now everyone knows I'm really materially driven, right? I love exploring material. So this is plastics. It's like forms of glitter. It's a uh, lot uh, antique frames, right? So let's just talk about like a uh, I guess the most salient thing you see is they're all like glittery and shiny. And I really wanted to create, what do you call it? Um, something like product lust, like, oh, I got to have that. Like what makes this so desirable? Why is a diamond have so much value, precious gems, that kind of thing. So kind of trying to make them jewel-like, right? Like you have no idea for the artists out there. I went through so many different types of glitter. You cannot believe it until I arrived at this stuff that's called diamond dust because lots of it was just looking cheesy. It looked like a Christmas ornament. It looked like a little kitty toy. And I wanted something like transformative, right? This is just for the artists out there <laughs> or anybody else who's interested. So I found this really cool material because I wanted that to live on its own as well and be a like a really transporting sort of element. And... So within these like glitterized zones of these pieces, like I would uh, make patterns and different internal things. So they really have like a lot of nuance. And for example, if you just had one on a wall on a very big austere plain white wall or whatever color you want, like they'd look really resonant and cool. They look really cool by themselves. Like I want them to kind of be like these weird things like, Oh, it looks familiar, but like, what is that? And what is its purpose? And this kind of thing, like something you uh, 
arrive upon in some futuristic forest and it's like this thing that's just glowing and you know it's a whole different world and yet you have the feeling there's a presence there registering you or maybe not maybe it's some just archaeological relic or something so i wanted to operate in that realm right all right so that speaks to like uh the little shiny glittery part and then like uh all these frames and stuff are like i don't know if you call them antique or at some point they will be <laughs> but like you know 20 30 40 50 years old some are like way older from flea markets uh what do you call it estate sales those types of things uh stuff given to me by friends anyway i'd repurpose them i thought they were like a great uh thing in the vein of my recycling repurposing giving something that was going to be discarded new life again acknowledging it it matters it was there still exists in some kind of resonant fashion so um but these pieces that are shaped um more abstractly actually have a really interesting provenance they're from like the oldest settlement in lake tahoe and they were uh just pieces of wood that had rotted away from this old logging camp pier that had been soaking in the lake i don't know like from the 1860s i think or i'm not sure that's when they fell apart but that's when they were cut and um so i have a whole bunch of other pieces based on like that thing so that's why these are there because uh I don't know individually they mean something to me a lot so i like that and i i really like the whole shaped canvas aspect to it right it's not a rectangle not a square livens up the wall and uh you can get kind of create a little sentence with them and stuff you can install things in a really different manner right with the shaped canvases like that so Anyway, I love the historical element of that. It's just a, a personal thing. And then once again, like going back to my obsession with blister packs, I actually started getting into these in a period prior to this one that they were all like white paintings, <laughs> essentially a zillion different whites and figures and whatever. So very, very different. These are purely abstract, odd items. And this whole method of painting is so neat. Like, um, I actually just like had a bunch of these things just for the artists also out there in my studio. <laughs> and I don't know why I just thought they were so cool. And, um, oh yeah, they were, um, outcasts from like this period prior, like these white paintings. So anyway, so I'm using these and I'm painting away. And I'm using them like as a palette, right? I'm squishing paint at them. I'm mixing paint in them. I'm, and, and like at some, because they are just convenient. You know, it's just something at hand, like a paper plate, a piece of plate, whatever. Artists will grab anything for a palette, right? If you don't uh, actually have your real palette within reach kind of thing. It's just a spontaneous thing because you want to capture the moment. And the moment is so important in making art or many, many types of art, not all art. And um you might call it inspiration what have you so you grab the first thing at hand right so i grab this big honking 
blister pack thing and was like doo -doo -doo -doo, working on something. I don't even know what phase of work I was on at the time. And um, at some point, like the, I flipped it over or I turned it, I don't know, it was, I don't know what it was. And I saw it from the other side and it just looked so cool. And my first instinct was like, oh, wow, that's some really great painting on there. And it's the kind of painting that just comes inadvertently, like because uh, you're not paying attention to it or it's from gravity or whatever. You know, it's not like consciously deliberate in the way that you think it is because you're working on some other thing. So I turned it over and that was like the impetus for creating these things because then I realized, oh, you can smush it up. You could drip paint in there, drop, drop, drop. You could do like Jackson Pollock shit, whatever. It does this whole whole own thing, dries, flip it over, you paint it a certain way, and like, really, it looks freaking cool, and it transports these blister packs into a different level, right? Like, if you, uh, you know, not to demystify anything, but I'm trying to do something alchemical, so I'm working with these, like, boring things you're just going to discard. It's going to end up in a garbage dump creating methane, right? So, like, this is one from some giant light bulb, you could get at Home Depot or Target or someplace like that. And this is from, I don't know, some USB cord. And it's from medicine. And it's from a bunch of different things, right? It's like as random and mundane and prosaic as that, right? And then you're kind of like elevating it to a different status, right? By making, okay, boom, it's cool. And I also feel like these things, I don't know, they're, they were probably done with some 3D app, but at one point, like, they must have been done by other artists or other engineers, people actually making them to make this protective casing for the light bulb or the tool, the, the medicine, whatever the blister pack was for. All right, so really started exploring that deeply with these pieces and presenting it like that. But... As I keep saying, in the end, I want to take these ordinary materials, garbage, something discarded, upgrade it, uplift it, you know, make it lighter so we can lift it kind of thing. <laughs> and, um, and do something alchemical. I don't care if anybody knows what the reference point is. What, I don't actually want them to know anything of what I've just broken down. I've kind of like given the recipe, like, how do I make a painting like this? <laughs> and that's how, and these were the ingredients, right? Um, but in the end, who gives the rat's ass if it's a blister pack or glitter or an antique frame, right? You want it to be its own thing that just moves you in a certain way. You go, oh, boom, what's that? Oh, fantastic, right? Like, anyway, that's my motive an impetus for making art, transforming something into another realm, and then ultimately giving people like um, a really great experience with that, right? Like, I mean, I could see these hung individually in a big epic space. I could see them, you know, in a whole immersive type environment and uh, floor to ceiling hung salon style and you know, in a room with the hanging pieces and what have you. So, okay, I think that's um, 
sort of thorough enough for this first hanging. I'm going to do another one. Carry on. Thank you. I hope that was cool. Okay. What I meant to say here before I lost my train of thought is that the blister packs have this defined architectural structure, right? Because that's the definition of what they do. They're creating this kind of room or space to protect and to reveal, you know, the product, right? So I'm painting on the interior of these things. And my point was like the painting totally nullifies in a sense, the structure of the blister pack at the same time, like bringing attention to it. So I really like that dichotomy because uh, you can see with all these like abstracted areas and whatever, it kind of behaves like a camouflage in a sense. And that's the point I was trying to make prior. Here I'd like to recite the titles of my paintings because um, in this instance, I felt like I wanted my art to operate on so many different levels, right? And one of them is literary in a sense, and it reflects my interests in some ways, in many ways. And also it comments on the contextualization of paintings, like an art in general, like often when you go to a museum or a gallery, particularly in museums, I think like people spend way more time reading the placards, like painted by so-and-so just saying, this is about this and this and this. And, you know, they're like spending 35 seconds reading the plaque thing, whatever it's called. And they look at the painting for like, boom, like a moment or, you know, a very brief amount of time. And I, you see that all the time in museums. And uh, so this is kind of a comment on that and also sort of a comment on like abstract number one, abstract number two, or untitled this or that, just adding another dimension to it. So these things started out, I was calling them image units because I thought each blister pack could behave like an image unit. And so these are the image units, which, Later, I refine to the sentinels because that's more metaphoric and it's more like what really they're about, I feel like, in terms of their mood and the imagistic sense, they're sentinels, right? That's just what it is. It's more poetic, more encompassing. All right, so ah, here's my first spoken word thing. And by the way, like when I would write these things at the time, like they all had a little hashtag in front of them like which you know we all know how like tiresome that is at this point but anyway so here we go image unit dot deflection of the vertical arc minute dash f8 495b image unit dot agile beam halo dash 553 dot xgz image unit dot ephemera c sail m blocks dash 117866 dash xlt we run with the hunted dash eight seven seven fifty three point zero nine hundred image unit dot the weather of me is hot dash eight seven three point nine seven eight image unit dot butt plug dash f d nine h g image unit dot crystalline less dash one x l l t hello welcome to part two of the sentinels podcast where I'm talking about everything related to 
contemporary art. And in this case, these are the larger scale paintings from the Sentinel series, which is from 2015 to 2019. And uh, the fortunate fun thing about podcasts is you can do them somewhat spontaneously. So I was just in the mood. I did this hanging. And I wanted to discuss these larger pieces. And as I mentioned before, um, these pieces of wood, which were considered shape canvases at this point, I guess, uh, were actually um, from these planks that were part of a pier going into Lake Tahoe in the 1860s, 1870s. They were fermenting in the lake for, I don't know, how many decades. And uh, so I have reclaimed them and use them in these things uh, for a lot of different reasons. And anyway, they really represent what I was um, talking about when you want to discover something that's completely alchemical and you don't understand where it came from and yet, okay, it's this thing you have to relate to. And in a sense, I tried to make them kind of futuristic. And okay, this is in the heyday, I would say, of my blister pack collecting and repurposing of these things. And um, these pieces in particular, I really love. They have like a, a real Native American reference and um, all kinds of mystical elements. And they really operate on a 3D level. And I love these things that they kind of look like Native American bead work sort of and they look like crosses and they have a real totemic kind of um vibe to them so that was something i was trying to convey like the whole inherited history thing and i also wanted to make something like okay you can't understand what they are what they were what they will be they have like a sense of uh being familiar yet unfamiliar and that was something that was really compelling to me. So I think they have like this mystical element to them. And, you know, so they have historical references, futuristic references. Um, I tried to make them kind of like frosted in a sense or like seeming like they've been through something in another perhaps galactic ice age. And that's what these pieces refer to. Hello, hello, I'm back. Um, I've done another installation of different sentinel paintings and I'm trying to get rolling here and enjoy the spontaneity of podcasts. Yet there's a lot of behind the scenes setups and it seems to be like one of those days where everything seems challenging, a bit annoying and difficult, but as the Stoics say, you're not even supposed to complain to yourself in your own mind, in your own internal dialogue. So therefore, ah, I'm sure they knew more than me. I will get going and try and ignore everything. So uh, these are more planks of the Sentinels from what I was talking about. And when I refer to planks, it's because like uh, the surface they're on, these weird shaped pieces of wood used to be you know, really regular uniform planks of wood used for this pier. 
and then disintegrated and rotted or soaked, fermented, whatever word you want, in this lake for well over a hundred years. So I love how uh, nature informs, forms, informs, looks, just about everything. And it's kind of neat to think that these things were long and rigid and rectangular. And now look at them. Look at the creativity of nature, right? That is really freaking cool. So I love that. And I love the irregularity. And in a million years, you know, an artist could be carving along on a plank, chopping something up or whatever piece of wood. And they're not going to arrive at these like naturally arrived at organic shapes. So I think that's very neat. So I've like repurposed them and, uh, some of these were like skins also. This is from a logging camp right up in Nevada. And uh, you know anything about logging? Another little esoteric thing. But what they do first is like shave off the outside, the bark component, right? And um, I think some of these may have been part of that as well because they're awfully thick to be part of a pier. But um, the crumbly part of the bark has evaporated, eroded entirely, right? So you don't see that. And anyway, they've created these great shapes, caught my eye, and I grabbed them and thought, wow, what a wonderful thing to paint on, right? And then I applied uh, my whole contemporary blister pack thing upon it. And my whole goal was, to make these things like, oh, how, how is this made? I don't want it to think about like the process of making. I want, okay, you're looking at it as it is. I, I feel like um, these things emerged organically, right? So I kind of strived, strove, whatever the word is. Is that a word? Strove? <laughs> to make these things just feel like they were naturally here or intended to be like that, right? Um, so... That's what we got going on here. Another thing that uh, I find really compelling is like the whole frosted aspect, like I'm showering these things on, like the sugarized kind of component where, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a residual thing in a post-apocalyptic sense uh, after some nuclear winter or whatever, the catastrophe, the asteroid hit, whatever, and something still survived a weird pulse and i feel like mystically maybe these are things you'd come upon in some post-apocalyptic forest tagged upon a tree and you don't know oh is there a pulse there is there something there registering life documenting what's around it or is it just some inert thing like once upon a time was a street sign or whatever the heck it was so i want them to be charged and metaphorical like that and make you think and make you feel. I mean, I think that's the whole point of visual arts anyway, to make you feel something in a really deep sense before you engage your analytics and start trying to think, oh, what is this piece about? What referred to in the time that it was made? That kind of thing. First, I think visually, boom, we're struck by stuff. Uh, the visual sense is like, in my opinion, our most immediate sense, other people would say, it's the voice, it's tonality, it's touch, feeling. To me, it's visual, boom, it's immediate. 
and I feel like you know you get the that with these and or a lot most good art it should be like that right and so hopefully they're resonating on that level so another thing I enjoy about these pieces is like how ordinary the components are found wood repurposed plastics whatever and yet you convert them in this alchemical sense I know I keep talking about alchemistry a lot but I love how something's transformed into something that you can't identify and it's like this great vessel of mystery right so I think that's a really fascinating thing about poignant art and the funny thing is for the artists out there if you break this down to ordinary components like some of these things are from light bulbs or fruit you would get at Costco or medicine chocolates uh computer hardware components whatever it is and it's reassembled in a different way and it makes you see the world in a different way it's kind of like a really fun sort of reframe and I don't mean like fun, like woohoo, let's have some champagne. I mean like, you know, fun, like interesting, operates on a lot of dimensions. Maybe fun is a weird word, but maybe more I'm thinking it's like uh, provocative, compelling, that sort of thing. So here we are. I'm going to be showing some more. Uh, three-dimensional pieces and I often wonder like okay how should these things be installed like one isolated charged piece on a wall or shown like this or shown even more densely many people say I should be more sparse about it more spare and just have one or two kind of thing but you know when you have more it kind of creates this like a trending word now like more immersive kind of vibe to it which I think also is debatable because like if you ever like been to the Rothko Chapel for example in Texas or whatever okay that's an immersive environment but there is just like one isolated piece on each panel of those walls and it's really profound I guess that is the essence of something immersive and it doesn't have to be saturated with polka dots from the floor to the ceiling and every other which way and create that. Although that's really fun too. And a lot of stuff is trending that way. I would not say that's my cup of tea whatsoever. Perhaps I'm more traditional or uh, probably less more, less gimmick oriented. All right, I'm back. And uh, I've hung one of my three-dimensional pieces, as you can see here. It could kind of hang like a little calder thing. Oh, my God, there's so much dust and cobwebs on her. Anyway, you take a lot of maintenance. But I wanted to illustrate, like, you know, how these things work 100% 3D volumetrically. Kind of like a calder mobile or whatever hanging kind of sculpture you might think of. And... Uh, I'll take some close-ups. I'm sure you can't see this that well on the YouTube thing. But I wanted to show what these feel like three-dimensionally and how organic they are 
and how like, yeah, they come from the earth and yet they're really contemporary and post-contemporary. And again, for the artists out there, this is from some, what they call a, a coyote brush root bowl. Like, uh, I was living for a long time in this weird esoteric place called Topanga Canyon. And it's very kind of quasi-rural, I guess. There's a lot of wildlife and nature out there, considering it's in the middle of L.A. It's very odd. And that's what makes it kind of interesting. And anyway, uh, this coyote brush grows everywhere. And it's very durable and drought-resistant, that kind of thing. And has a lot of personality because of how it grows, right? Because it has a lot of gnarly structures enduring, like, droughts and rougher periods of growth and what have you. And so it comes up with strange forms. And with all, like, the drought after drought after drought, except prior to last season where we had way too much rain, like... There's a ton of this stuff just rotting out there, decaying, going back. And it has the most creative forms. And you think about it, like anything three-dimensional can be sculpture, right? It's how you look at it. You put a fire hydrant in the middle of the Whitney Museum. Suddenly that fire hydrant looks really bitchin' and, ooh, you observe it differently. You know, a lamppost, what have you. <laughs> so the coyote brush, I thought, they were really compelling, so I got a few of these and did my little thing with the blister packs on them, and I think it came out really cool. So I just uh, wanted to show that, and I feel like, you know, it's really fun doing these things, and I want to share my voice. I feel like uh, the institutional support is not there, not like I have great gallery support showing my work to a zillion people across the world. And, you know, there's no teaching, no universities got my back. So I feel like, okay, those entities are not doing their job, right? Because I'm a lifer, I'm the real deal. And anyway, I will take my own responsibility for this. Whatever conditions occurred, they occurred. So, um, yeah, I want to show and teach my work and convey it, share it is really more what I'm interested in. And maybe perhaps it's more for the artists out there. But uh, when you talk about one great thing about these tech platforms is, yeah, you can shepherd your own work to zillions of more people. On the other hand, then those platforms own your work. They own your content. And when you get deplatformed or hacked, or whatever the issue comes up, suddenly you're shit out of luck, right? So I've mentioned this before in other podcasts. I'm doing this like to own my own content, to share whatever I can contribute to the art world, to the world at large kind of thing, and um, to show my passion and heart and background, right? And I think for now, like... YouTube and podcasts is the move, but of course they could deplatform you too, but I don't think I'm doing anything that's uh, what would be considered remotely controversial, <laughs> that they would feel the need to deplatform me, but you could still be hacked and stuff. So 
it's fun to do this and I want to share this. I'm going to be showing some more close-ups and whatever and uh, I'll hang some more and we will take it from there. Thanks again. Goodbye. All right, here's another three-dimensional piece from this period. This one's called Silverlight and it's really saturated with blister packs and yeah, I could spin around like a little mobile. But at the same time, it's really nice to look around when it's all just like poised there, static and everything, and you can move around it and it does all the same stuff I want the other ones to do. I have this like charge confusing, like elemental aspect to it. And it's really neat to explore. And I think it would be so cool to have like a whole bunch of these coming down from the ceiling that you just walk amongst like you're exploring something during some earthy hike or that kind of thing. <laughs> All right, not sure you can see this, but this is another piece from the series called Pylon. And uh, maybe if I move this, oh, it's going to be more readily visible. But, um, yeah, I have other 3D things, but these three are really neat, what I happen to have here. And, uh, yeah, it's such a cool piece. But this one, by way of provenance, has nothing to do with Nevada nor Lake Tahoe. It's more from, you know, one of my art collector friends out in Malibu had all these rotting planks or, or whatever you call it things from uh the ocean driftwood that washed up i think this was more like a pillar that supported some kind of pier type thing but it's hard to say but anyhow here it is and uh yeah i apologize in advance if i seem more cranky than normal i know i'm normally cranky <laughs> it's like my default state no just joking but anyway, uh, yeah, you know, just has some sad family news today. I think it's like affecting me like how a full moon does. Like, it's just like eh, everything kind of seems to be like an elbow in the ribs, even though everything's normal. But yet it's not normal. Time marches on. Things change. Life is ephemeral. I think that's like why I love art so much because it, captures a moment in time but makes it emblematic and symbolic in a sense that goes it defines that moment and has a resonance well beyond that right and that i believe is part of the power of art Image Unit Special Topics in Calamity Physics 500-799-833 Image Unit Don't Fuck With The Magic Makers 15337 Image Unit Scalable Agile Beam Pylon 3850 Image Unit Interference Harmonic Driveline 1566-900 Image Unit Greedy Jane 
dash G A A C G C G A blah 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 a bunch of different genes. Image unit dot snowy frosting of ash on the log dash one fifty seven K twelve. Image unit Hagada pages in the wind dash L H zero zero Q. Image unit dot graphite moderated cone of focus dash zero nine Y four Matute.